You know, we've spent a couple of uh, Sundays already talking about a, a similar theme that we'll visit again this morning. So well, one of the things that I would have you do is just find Matthew chapter 22 in your Bible and, and, and look to the 34th verse. And when you find it, as you're turning there, if you would stand in honor of God's word, that's Matthew chapter 22, verse number 34. Matthew chapter 22, verse number 34 says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you that when we come to Scripture, we see a, a consistency in you that is, that is hard for us to understand. Because, Lord, we, we struggle sometimes to be consistent. But, Lord, it seems to me that when people ask you these important questions, you always point us back to loving God, loving our neighbor. I pray that this will be the chief responsibility that each and every one of us will take from this place today, that we would first love you and then we would love others as a result. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen. And you might have noticed that last week when we talked about this topic, it was in a different passage of scripture in the book of Luke. In that passage, the question that was asked to Jesus is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the summary there was is that it was all wedded to mercy. He said, well, which one was merciful? And they said, well, the and the Good Samaritan story was that the, the one who had mercy on him was the one who had stopped. In this story, in this narrative, it's actually a very different question. And it's amazing to me the way that, that, that our Savior, that he just has this, this consistent demeanor where he just says, this is a truth that is applicable to these questions in such a way that we need to hear it over and over and over again. Uh, if, you, if you know the greater context of the story, there's this dialogue that's happening between Jesus and the Sadducees, and they're having some debate about whether there's a, a, an eternity, whether there's an afterlife, whether there's a heaven to come. And Jesus is dealing with them, and he's basically scolding them for not understanding the Scripture very well. About verse 34, where this turns, the Pharisees see that opportunity that Jesus has just told the Sadducees something they didn't want to hear. So they're thinking, we have an opportunity now to get in here and see if our side's the right side. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying. Now, before I get into what he asks, I want you to think about this with me. You know, there's a measure. There's a measure in our world of division. It is everywhere. Uh, the media is working hard to divide you the cola wars are working hard to divide you. The, the, the sportscasters are working hard to divide you. Football in your local state is working hard to divide you. I mean, I'm told of a history at Crossroads where orange was on one side and crimson and cream was on the other. And you can't tell me that's not actual, act, I mean, accurate or actual truth. The reality for me is, is that the world would divide us at every turn, and, and I believe that it's instinctive for us to want so much 
to have the right idea in our heart, in our mind, that we, we champion a side rather than the truth. And Jesus is looking now at the Pharisees who have whittled their way into the conversation, gathered together, and a lawyer steps up and he says, I want to ask you an important question. And point number one, if you're taking, if you're taking notes this morning in your bulletin, is often we are divided from others and both sides are wrong. You know, I think you will find that there's much to know about Jesus in the Bible. And I think that if you study Jesus, you'll find that he doesn't fit very well into anybody's group very well. That he favors some traits and he champions the best part of everything. And you're going to see that throughout the sermon this morning. I hope that you'll see that, that when you look at all of the, the composition of Scripture, that Jesus is, is the best of every single aspect of life. The problem that we have is, is that you might be good at something, but you might be bad at a bunch of other things. And you will always tell the world about what you're good at and oftentimes will avoid altogether what you're bad at. But Jesus is good at all of it. You see this picture that these Pharisees and Sadducees are divided and the Pharisees are, are weaseling their way in to ask a question and the question they ask is really very important. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? I was, I was talking about this sermon a couple of weeks ago with my, with my wife in the car. My son just happened to be in the car with us. And, and I, I say this to you to, to tell you that he gave, my son gave me a keen insight to this because he's like, well, if there's a greatest commandment, which one's the worst? And I thought, man. And my wife looked at me and she's like, okay, preacher, what are you going to do now? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to talk about these commandments because what he says here, he says, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, this debate is a real debate about anything. You know, there's all this conversation, and I don't know if I, I mean, if I said a name to you like Michael Jordan, people would say, greatest of all time. And then somebody would say, oh, LeBron, greatest of all time, right? I mean, I might say, and I know this will, this will upset half the room, so bear with me. I said Switzer, some of you say greatest of all time, and then I say Stoop, some would say, no, that's better, greatest of all time, and you would just go back and forth, right? And then I might say Gundy, and everybody would just, and it would, the room would just disintegrate. <laughs> greatest of all time, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Joe Montana. I mean, it divides us the greatest of all time. We want to know the greatest of all time, right? And in this moment, they want to know the greatest and most powerful teaching. What is the greatest commandment? What's the great one? And it just, Jesus being the teacher par excellence, the most high and powerful teacher, he just leans in and he says, I'm going to tell you about the greatest of all time. The one you should love is God. He's the greatest of all time, and the greatest commandment of all time is that you should love him. And he just, he just leans in and does it so casually. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He just, he just, he says, okay, if you were to look at the Ten Commandments, and you, we teach them to children, and we, we study them, if you go to many of the courthouses, although they are being challenged whether they should be there or not, they still have monuments to them. They still are represented in most of the, of the judicial structure. By the way, in my opinion... You don't have a good reason for any real moral code or law 
without the moral code and law that we find in the scriptures. So if you strip it from the society, you say, then what is the backbone or skeleton by which you base all of your law? Because most of our judicial backbone is based on the Bible. And the parts that are not are very questionable. We see this picture here that he's talking about the commandments, and he says, which one's the great one? And if you break down the commandments, there's really a, 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 a smooth, clean break. There's that which deals with our relationship to God, and there's that which deals with our relationship to others. And he does that right here. He just takes it into two parts, and he says, love God and love others. If you were to go through the commandments, and one of the things that I'll tell you about the commandments is, is that I haven't found a bad one. I know that we're in the New Testament and we're championing the work of the New Testament, but Jesus is looking back on an Old Testament principle and he's telling them that this is important. And he says, that what pertains to God, obey it. That what pertains to others, obey it. And he says it in the manner and the language of love. And it devastates us. You know, I'm going to take a moment this morning to just teach some relational stuff to you, and I hope that you will bear with me through this. This is good medicine for anybody that will hear it. But I need you to look right at your neighbor and say, I probably don't speak your language. Those of you that aren't sitting next to anybody need to learn to say this to somebody later. It's okay. I saw some, you know, people that are not next to anybody. What this means is, is that we often, and, and this has been summarized pretty nicely by a, a pretty, pretty great book that I recommend to couples all the time, The Five Love Languages, and there are a dissection of things that we need to know about love, that we typically love people in one of five different ways. We either love them with our words, we love them with our time, we love them with our touch, we love them with our gifts, or we love them with our actions. You got that? You're going to go home and say, man, I, I remember every word that you said, and I put it right to practice. What happens in relationships, and I'll, I'm going to kind of dissect this a little bit better for you, but what happens in relationships is one of you is really good at one of these, and one of you is really good at another one of you, and what you do is you try to show the other one your love with the thing that you want. So say, if quality time is your thing, let's say your spouse, their thing is acts of service, and you want to spend a lot of time with your quality time spouse, they're going to love that. But if you're the acts of service spouse, you want to go out and do stuff. But that doesn't feel like quality time or the quality time one. What happens is, is that, you know, for instance, you're acts of service and you're like, I mowed the lawn, I did the laundry, I did the dishes. Do you not feel loved? And the quality time person is saying, but we weren't together. Some of you got quiet. You need to become fluent in the language of love with your children, with your spouse, with, your, with your, your parents, with the other people. You need to understand what they need from you and what they want and what you need from them. You need to be able to speak clearly about this. And you need to hear this because when I say this is important and we start to see that Jesus is good at all of this, when you look at the scriptures, you will find that when it says here that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind, he is giving us a blueprint to say that it's every part of you, every facet of you. If you consider the things that, that I just outlined for you, God's good at all of them. God's word, words of affirmation. There's a, there's, 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 there's a multitude of words that will affirm and, con and, and convict you and encourage you and correct you. The, the words that you need are right here. God is good at this. You want to see about his time? Wasn't it Jesus who came? down from his throne and spent time right here on earth with us. Isn't it also the fact that the Holy Spirit is with us present 
in our lives when we become indwelt with him, when we become believers in Jesus. And as a result, he is with us with quality time. And he wants us to spend quality time with him so much so that in every church, you will find that if they are serious about study of God's word and prayer, that they will send you to say, go and spend some quiet time with Jesus. At camp, it's built right into our schedule this week. Students will be maybe for the first time experiencing some time. They won't know how to do it. Trust me, if you don't know how to spend some quiet time with Jesus, just start by just being quiet. Read a few passages of scripture. Talk to him like you would talk to a friend. God is good at time. He's so good at time that he's outside of it. He's before it, he's during it, and he's after it. And he's the same throughout all of it. He's also good at gifts. Now, oftentimes we want gifts. If we have a, an, an unquenchable thirst for gifts, oftentimes we want more from God than, than, than is reasonable. But I'll tell you that he gave, he gave us the greatest gift of all time. That's salvation, and he offered us to us through, through dying on the cross for our sins and giving us a, a, an opportunity to have eternal life. That's a gift that none of us deserve, and we have it offered to us. God is good at gifts. He gives us more than that, by the way, but I think that he knows we'd be spoiled if he gave us every single thing. So he has moderation. He's good at that too, but that's not in the list. Some of you are like, thank God that's not in the list. If moderation was your love language, your household would not like you. Touch. Physical touch. Jesus walked into the midst of a dying world, a sick world, a world that was in deep need. And he walked into those that were unclean and he touched and healed them. He spent time with those that were sick and ill. He, he, he is in the midst of washing his disciples' feet. He is good at touch because he's good at all of this. And then acts, and I, I've already mentioned the cross, but I can think of no greater act of service than to die on the cross for my sin, your sin, for all the sins. You see, when Jesus went to that cross, he wasn't going there because he owed a debt. He was going there because you did. Isn't it one of the most gratifying things to the people in this room that believe in acts of service that when somebody else will do something that they desperately want done and they'll get to it before them, that it will be a, a blessing? Well, I, I will tell you that if it were possible, I would have run to pay my debt and would have come up short when I got there. I'm so grateful that he's an acts of service God too. And when it says in the scriptures that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, he says, be good at this. And you know that some of us are not good at this. You might not be good at four of these but you might need to take some language skills classes and, and, and just get real good at, at speaking another person's language. It'll help in your relationships. I guarantee it will. God is good at all of them. That's why he is equally powerful to each and every one of us, even though we don't feel it all the same way all the time. But we do feel it. We see this powerful presence of him in our midst and the scriptures described and the excitement of what's to come in the eternity before us. And this is this picture of loving God, loving God, loving God, loving God. And he says that this is the great commandment. This is the most important thing you can do. You can love God with your words, your time, your touch, your gifts, and your acts. And if you're not doing at least one of those, you're not trying because you're good at one of them. But can you be good at more of them? 
That's what it tells us to do. When it's uncomfortable to serve, we should love the Lord our God with all of our strength. When it's hard for us to wrap our head around why we're doing it, we should love him with all of our mind. And when we do whatever we do, we should do it with the intensity and excitement of doing it because we see how well he does things to do it equally with all of our soul. It's hard to do this. That's why he says this is the first and great commandment. Verse number 39, well, and, and I, I know I'm, I'm so wound up here, I haven't even given you, you know, second and third points, which I probably should do. In your bulletin, if you're keeping track of the notes, number two should, should be this question, and I would, I would make you rewind all the way back to which is the great commandment. You should consider why you are asking a question. I think oftentimes we think that we can ask God a question, and we've been hammering this nail, and I, I know that I have been coming back to it frequently. They've been doing this all the way from the beginning of the Scriptures all the way till now. You'll see it, that people keep coming to, to Jesus. They keep asking of Jesus or his Heavenly Father. They keep asking him questions about, you know, what he's going to do, what he's going to teach, what he's going to be about. And he keeps reminding us that he tells us what to do. And there's a picture here that oftentimes I think that when we ask a question, it's loaded. And instead of just being plain in our conversation, we ask of God something. And there's a reason why, and we should know why we ask a question. I believe that you should know why you're asking of God any one thing. Some of us are asking of God just so that our life might be easier or simpler. Some of us are asking of God because we know that we cannot on our own. Some of us are asking of God because we wish for more, maybe even than he has planned for us. And I would suggest that we should consider why we are asking any question we ask of him. In the previous reading of this in Luke 10, when we looked at that version of, of a similar story, we see that the question was about eternal life. Here we ask about the great commandment the greatest of all time, giving us the greatest of all time. Well, verse number 39, it turns. There's a moment before we read it that I would have you challenge you just to see it here, though, because whenever I read the Ten Commandments and there's this run of things, there's lots of thou shalt nots and thou shalt, right? I know that's the King James Version, and that's what I learned. Jesus has applied love to them in a way that is palpable because point number three is that love is the heartbeat of God and should be the heartbeat of each of us. Love will compel you to work harder at words, times, gifts, touch, or acts even when you don't want to do it. Love will compel you to try harder to hear your spouse or your children in the language that they speak. Love will compel you. That's why God has to be good at all of them, and that's why we should each one be good at all of these as much as is humanly possible. And when we are not, we should be willing to admit it. Because the last part of this, verse 39 and 40, this is where it starts to unfold for us. And the second is like it. See, he asked for the great commandment. Isn't it like Jesus to always give us just a little more? He didn't just stop at the greatest commandment. He says, number two is important. And he takes the, the remaining commandments, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. And he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. Easier said than done, right? 
Now, I've talked a lot about you loving God or your spouse or your children with your words, with your time, with your gifts, with your touch, or with your acts. But I'm going to ask you now to look at the world around you with the same lens now because you have learned with God how he has loved you. Now you ought to love others. You know, I will tell you that if, if I were to be, be completely transparent, well, I might stand up here and deliver messages and might speak to you and might have the ability that in my own home, I can be a word desert when somebody needs to hear words of affirmation. You can ask the people I work with. They're sometimes craving a word of encouragement for me, and I'm like, all I've got is a hammer. And it's hard work sometimes to work at it, to cultivate it. And I suspect that that's the same with any of the rest of us. Some of us are so bad at some of these that somebody else in our house needs so desperately but there are people all around you that need them as well. And Jesus is like, both you Pharisees and Sadducees, you need to love God. And you need to love others. Why must we love others? Because point number four is that Jesus simplifies teaching so that we might understand. It's point number four. And we must love others because we begin to see something that we'll touch on next week. How our actions tell a story. You want to tell the world that you love Jesus and that Jesus loves you? Love other people. You want to tell the world how great your church family is or your connect group is or how, 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 how much you love these people of faith that we join together with? Love other people. And they will see it But he tells us that in verse number 40 that these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He's like, you could take all 10 and summarize them in these two statements. This is a Cliff's Notes. I know it's Sparks Notes now. I'm old. Some of you that are old enough to remember Cliff's Notes, you're not supposed to use those, by the way. And some of you are young enough to know about Sparks Notes, you're not supposed to use those either. But this is a paraphrase, a very condensed, very concentrated, pour one cap full in for the gallon kind of moment. And he says, you need to understand everything that has been taught. When he says the law and the prophets, he is talking about the majority of the Old Testament. He, he is quoting and he's talking about that the, the Old Testament is divided typically into, into three parts. The law, the writings, and the prophets. And he's taken two of those and says everything in the law and the prophets is hung on this. When he says the law and the prophets, he's talking about the first five books of the Bible and he's talking about every prophetic work that's in there. The writings include the poetry and the history and, he, and you know, that's the only piece that's missing here. He's like, most of what you've been studying is hung on this. Man, we are doing good. I, I don't know how many times in my life people have looked at me and said, well, I don't know what the meaning of life is and I'm like, love God and love your neighbor. That's the great commandment. Eternal life is wedded to Mercy. Instruction is wedded to his love. Man, this is a pretty powerful story, isn't it? Today, you might be here today, and you might be in this place, and you might be saying to yourself, well, I already have a relationship with Jesus. Well, do you have a relationship with Jesus that his words, times, gifts, touch, and acts right? Or is it just part of that? Because there's room for you to grow. But you might be in this place today, and you might be saying to yourself, I don't have a relationship with Jesus or God, and I don't know anything about what it means to be loved with someone's words 
over somebody's actions, over somebody's touch, over somebody's time, over somebody's gifts. I don't know anything about that. And today the day might be the very day that you get to know about this very thing for the first time. Because in a moment, we're going to invite you to come during an invitation, and you're welcome to talk to me. And if you're not comfortable with that, catch me immediately after. I would love to talk with you about a God who loves you perfectly and can love you just the way you need to be loved. Because in this place, we believe that God, our Savior Jesus, is good at all of it. And you shouldn't leave here feeling empty or left out because he wants you to know his love. Because it starts by everything else being hung on this, that we now love God, and as a result, we love others. You might be in this place, and you might be a believer, and you might also be saying, hey, I have a right relationship with God, but man, everything is busted around me. Maybe I need a lesson in loving others. Maybe I need a lesson in, in, in applying what God is giving to me out to others. Maybe I need to be more listening and watching of what other people might need. You, you know that person that every Christmas you give them a gift and they don't seem to care? They're not a gifts person. Doesn't mean they don't love you. You know that person that they keep asking when you're going to come over and hang out? Maybe they're a quality time person. They just need you for a few minutes. Or maybe that person that's like, hey, I just, you know, and some of you are scared to death, okay? So we're going to pause for just a second. If you're not a hugger, this terrifies you, what I'm about to say. Some people in this room are dying inside because no one has hugged them in a long time. Some of you are like, I won't hug anybody even if I have a a weighted blanket to put on them to put a fire out, I won't hug them because I'm scared to touch people, okay? It's one of the most damaging things that happened during the lockdown was is that the physical touch people were just, they were just starving to death. Some of you in this place need to be embraced by God in one of these five ways. I know it's more than this, and in the book, Five Love Languages, he just outlines this, and it's pretty nice, packaged up pretty neatly, but I know it's deeper than this. But you might be willing to admit it today and say, I'm, I'm, I'm starving to death for the thing that I know that God has to offer. And this invitation might be for you, and you'll have an opportunity to come and pray. But we're going to stand, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to come according, accordingly. Maybe to pray about your relationship with others. Maybe to ask me about a new relationship with God. Maybe to put right a relationship between you and your Creator. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your house, an opportunity to cry out to you and ask you, Lord, help us. Help us feel this deep and powerful love that is present in the scriptures. We're supposed to love you, and we're supposed to love others, Lord, and it starts with you loving us. It is the greatest commandment. I pray, Lord, today that no one would leave here without first being challenged with an opportunity to be loved, Lord, that they would have to reject it in order to leave here. I pray that they won't, but Lord, that they would have that opportunity. I ask, Lord, for these that are present to have the courage to cry out and say, what I need, what I want, is to be held by my Savior, either with his words, with his touch, with his gift, with his actions, or with his time. Each and every one of us needs this, Lord. I pray that we would ask for it today in Jesus' name. Amen.